Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I'm joined by Aaron Gore, the Senior Director of Business Development for Bavana. <clears throat> thanks for joining me, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me on, Chris. So I think we should just jump straight into what everyone's probably wondering uh, that's listening. Uh, what is Bavana? Oh, yes. Bavana is the company I work for. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, no. cool. More I guess, uh, <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> World, World's shortest <laughs> podcast. Um, no, Bavana, well, well, we are... It, we really have to break it down into to what actually matters to customers. What we do is we just help people find the best beverages from across the world, no matter where they're at. It, it really is that simple. There's a lot that goes into that. You know, it's obviously a whole lot of logistics and a whole lot of detail work. But if I really had to get to the core mission, we just want people to be able to find great beer, great kombucha, great seltzer, great CBD beverages without having to jump through hoops. So how do you do that? Yeah, no. So we work with small beverage producers. Like one of the key things I, I always try to make clear to everybody is we're not here to conglomerate or, or buy anybody out. We're, we're not doing what Anheuser-Busch is doing. We're not doing even what Canarchy is doing. What we're doing is working with small independent makers. So small independent breweries from your neighborhood who the demand is out there. They're making great beer. You know, they've got a great brand, a great story. They're doing some amazing stuff. But, you know, this is a highly regulated industry. Yeah, you, know, you got the three-tier system. You have wholesalers that you're required in most states to work through just to get your product into the market. Uh, dealing with chain retailers, that's, you know, big box stores, grocery stores. Uh, these are just areas that small companies, they're not equipped to do. They don't have the relationships. They don't have the capacity. They don't have the capital to be able to play in that space. So what we do is we actually take all of that on ourselves and we effectively manage all those elements that the breweries don't even want to do in the first place. That's not why they got into this. They got into this to make awesome beer and connect with customers. We take on those elements that they have to do just to even get it on the shelves for you in the first place. So basically the, so you don't become like the distributor though. You're, you're working in between the brewery and a distributor network. Effectively. Yeah. So effectively what we do is we sit at the middle of this nexus of all these wholesalers, all these big box retailers. We even have an e-commerce platform. You can order any of our products to 42 states in the District of Columbia, get delivered right to your home. But our goal is to, to be the one-stop shop for small beverage cake companies. That way they're able to interface into this much wider network without all of the headaches that come with that. Uh, and all the areas that they're not really equipped to manage, and vice versa for those wholesalers, for those big box retailers, for all that, we provide a service for them too. Because customers want choice. They want to be able to see a ton of amazing beers on the shelf. They want to have their selection of a bunch of different beer styles, places from all over. They're looking for quality. They're looking for the new thing, but that's incredibly inefficient for these large companies to manage because they're chasing around 70 small suppliers. With us, they only have to deal with us. That makes it very appealing for them, and it gets us access for a lot of these amazing beer brands that otherwise would just be shut out. So do you do you find – do you – build that distributor relationship for the brewery or do they have to come to you with those relationships and contracts already in hand? Uh, it's a combination of both. 
So for some of our partners, we take over some of their existing business, just areas they're not getting as much out of the relationship that they would like to be. For others, we're building them into new markets, areas that they've wanted to go, but they've had no access to, no ability to get into. You know, they're hearing the demand, you know, people want their beer, but they literally have no way of getting it out there because the way the market's constructed, it's wholesale or die, baby. And so you um, list the the industries that you do this for again? Mm -hmm. If it ferments, we ship. That's pretty much the way okay. we <laughs> the way we operate. But uh, no, more generally, it's not even just fermentation. So we we work with uh, breweries are kind of what we grew out of. We originally grew out of D Nine Brewing Company in Cornelius, North Carolina. Uh, we were one of the fastest growing breweries in the country, um, particularly in the southeast. Uh, basically right before the pandemic hit. And a lot of how we do what we do is us figuring out how to keep up with that demand ourselves and realizing that this is something that other breweries could benefit from and that we would all benefit from being able to concentrate some of those resources. Uh, so breweries are you know, the core of our business, but they're far from the only part of our business. Actually, our fastest growing brand and on pace this year to become our number one brand is Updog Kombucha. So we play in the kombucha space and we are in conversations with some other kombucha brands as well uh, and really innovating in that space. Uh, we are also playing in the CBD and hemp-based beverages uh, space with a couple of partners. So we have Tranquilo is the one that's out in the market right now, uh, 25 milligrams full-spectrum CBD, uh, non-alcoholic seltzer. Uh, we've got some more products in that space coming very soon through a partnership with Native Suticles, who are one of the largest uh, seed-to-shelf uh, hemp suppliers in the Southeast. So it's really been about putting our focus on areas that have need of being able to access the market. So pretty much anything that has distribution challenges and could benefit from the network effects of working with a group like us, that's where we're at. Cideries are coming on soon. Wine is coming on soon. Sake is coming on soon. What about um, other spirits like uh, whiskey, vodka, gin? Are those, yeah. or is that um, because of regulation something that's more difficult to do? Yeah, down the line, that is definitely something we've been looking at solutions for, but that is a whole different ballgame. The way the regulations are constructed around it, you know, wine has different regulations than beer, but by and large, you're talking a, a difference in. Uh, a difference in type, not in kind. So it's easy enough for us to work within that space as well. Uh, spirits are, are a whole rigmarole and that, that whole uh, industry has a huge moat built around it just by virtue of the fact that, you know, they've regulated it to death. Yeah. Yeah. And only, I mean, just recently kind of loosened them a tiny little bit. So it's, uh, it's probably going to be slow going before it uh, becomes more, uh, It'll be a long, friendly, yeah, I guess, a of a business environment road there. Um, and it's even more consolidated than the beer industry when it comes to wholesalers. Uh, Breakthrough Beverage and Southern Glazer own almost the entire market when it comes to wholesalers. Uh, spirits brands themselves are even more tightly consolidated. I mean, here in beer, you know, everybody knows uh, Budweiser and Miller uh, in wine. Everybody knows Gallo. But uh, in spirits, you know, you got a handful of companies, Diageo kind of leading the way that they really do own the whole industry so it makes it yeah. a lot more challenging uh for any of the local distilleries and, and high quality uh small makers out there to really penetrate so would there even be a way for you to work within the legal frameworks that are in place to do that or is it it just it, it it's not a even feasible 
business to get into. There are definitely ways of doing it. And honestly, in some ways, something like us is even more important within that space just because it is so tightly consolidated. Uh, They look for efficiencies more even than the beer wholesalers, more even than the big box stores. But uh, it would it's a effectively an entirely additional business. So we're, we're yeah. building up to it and making sure that we've got all of our I's dotted and T's crossed before we tackle that. Now you also have, um, a direct to consumer. Yeah. Uh, arm of Bavana too, correct? Yeah. And I manage that myself. So, uh, please everybody take <laughs> it easy on me. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, how does that work? Yeah, so we have an uh, e-commerce store, and you can find it online at shop.bevana, B-E-V-A-N-A dot com. Uh, you can go right on there and order from any of our partners or affiliates. Uh, we work with brands from as uh, nearby as down the street from my house here in South Carolina to as far away as the United Arab Emirates and pretty much everything in between, and have them shipped directly to your door. So it's it's no different from any other e-commerce experience, you know, buying online. The problem is the way that regulations are constructed breweries can't do this themselves quite literally legally. Uh, and most of the shops and marketplaces that are out there are pretty expensive, pretty inefficient. Um, they're still figuring out how this needs to look. We're fortunate enough because for us, this, this lays over what we do on a daily basis pretty readily anyways. So it makes it a lot cheaper and a lot easier for us to manage this in the first place. So for example, we can give away free shipping on anything over $65. Our prices are competitive or cheaper than anything else you'll find online. And the mission is the exact same. It's just to be able to provide better access to these products than, you know, the breweries or the kombucha makers or the seltzer companies would be able to do on their own. Uh, They literally can't ship it to you. We can. So we're extending their reach and letting people who would love to try something from uh, high wire brewing or who would love to try something from Heist Brewery or love to try something from Bay Cannon Beer Company to be able to do so without necessarily having to go to North Carolina or Florida. Now, does um, does a brewery have to be a partner in the other uh, us aspects of Bavana to be part of your shipping boxes or can any brewery sign up to be part of it with that part of it with you? Yeah, no, we, we are open to any and all breweries. Uh, obviously, we want to make sure that we are a trusted curator. So we're we're trying to make sure that we're finding places that are delivering consistent quality. The demand is there. People really do love their beer. But beyond that, we can work with people even if e-commerce is the only level to which that partnership goes. You know, we're, we're not okay. here to shove anybody into a box or shove anybody down a single track. Our mission is to help people find better beer. And for the breweries, it's to, to help people be able to access the customers that are out there and would love their stuff anyways. So it wouldn't, wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for us to keep that locked in if there was any way that we could run it. So, yeah, we have multiple layers there, multiple types of partnership to make sure we can facilitate that. Now, you had said that this was uh, born out of D9 Brewing Company. Does D9 own Bavana or is it still part of D9 or was it spun off as its own separate company? Yeah, so these days is actually the reverse. D9 is actually a part of Bavana. It's one of uh, only two okay. wholly owned uh, subsidiaries under as, as well as Updog Kombucha. That was a bit of a unique case. Um, Updog Kombucha, women founded uh they, one of the original founding partners, she had to step away from the business due to some, some uh, unrelated health reasons. 
and they needed the acquisition just to be able to keep the brand going. And since then, it's been remarkably productive for us, um, has been growing like crazy. And we actually, the other founder, we actually brought into the company to work with us and for us. And she now actually heads our non-alcoholic division. Uh, so that's been, you know, an amazing partnership. Uh, D9 passes through all the same channels as any of our other partners. There's nothing unique or special about it other than the fact that we also are the ones who have to come up with recipes and artwork for it. So if anything, it's uh, it's more of a pain than it is uh, anything else, but it's a brand that's close to our heart. And this year we're really focused on continuing that innovation. We've got quite a few new beers coming out and really getting back to some of the uh, pushing of boundaries and um really diving into the edges of flavor, which is what D9 built its name on in the first place. It was one of the first hype breweries in the Southeast. And that's something that we want to show people that, you know, not only are we continuing, but that never stopped. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so now that we know what Bavana does, let's uh, talk about how it uh, came to be. So what, what is the, the genesis of Bavana? Yeah, so the genesis of Bavano was actually born from uh, Andrew Durstowitz, who's our CEO and founder. He was the CEO and founder of D9 as well. And as I said, as D9 grew, uh, going from you know about 3,000 barrels a year to about 10,000 barrels a year inside of 12 months, uh, the challenge was just being able to keep up with that. You know, At the end of the day, I don't think most people realize that breweries, or at least don't put the thought into it, that breweries can't make infinite product in their brew house. You run out of space eventually, and... If you're going to buy new tanks, that's not only a huge amount of cash you have to outlay, but by the time you're done paying it off, now you've run out of space in those tanks. So it's an inherently inefficient process. And working with contract breweries one-on-one is, is pretty inefficient as well because, you know, and for anybody who isn't familiar with what those are, those are larger breweries who have a ton of production capacity. They make amazing, consistent product. They can make whatever you bring them. The issue is for them just like with the wholesalers and the retailers, it's very inefficient working with all these small companies. So uh, that's not a good solution for small beverage makers either, because at that point, they're going to have to put a lot of cash up front. They're getting six months of product at their door. They got to figure out how to store and sell. It's not a good solution. So we were trying to figure out what is a way that we can leverage getting 15, 20, 35, 40 companies together passing them through some of these same options, but doing so while negotiating as a group. 
build in some of those economies of scale, some of the advantages that come with being big without losing the things that the advantages and the things that come with being small. You know, there are advantages to being small. You can be more nimble, more innovative. You're closer to your community, closer to customers. You're able to still build a story and, and really continue to create what your company is. You're not beholden to, you know, $1 billion in startup just to launch a new beer. Those are the things we don't want to lose in this industry. It's why I got into this. Um, you know, I got two little girls at home. One of them's four years old and she can name the parts of a brew house. She's been to 82 breweries. I, I'd like <laughs> there to be an industry for her when she's old enough to participate in it if she would like to. And that's not going to happen if this industry matures and the only options for growth are getting bought out by Anheuser-Busch or Miller Coors or Canarchy or Artisanal Brewing Ventures. That's That's not the future we wanted for the industry. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with those pathways. We just wanted there to be a better option for people who still want to stay independent and create. So where, what does the name mean and where did that come from? So Bavana is beverage Nirvana. And the really, the idea behind that was to put the focus on beverages. We're not just a beer uh, company. That's not the only thing that we do. And, you know, just like with the beer industry, non-beer products are becoming increasingly important. That's not going to stop anytime soon. Um, kombucha is a full wing of our company. Uh, CBD products right now is a full wing of our company, and we want to continue to grow that. So we wanted a name that was versatile enough to mean a bit of everything for everybody. We're not, we're not just a brewing company. We do a whole lot more than that. Uh, and Bavana was short to the point, and we, we hope that it leaves people with an impression of what we're hoping that they discover, which is that sense of happiness and peace with uh, their beverage options. Oh, I can't find the tag line now. I was going to make a cheesy joke, but now I can't find where I saw it. Cheesy uh, jokes are like nine-tenths of the conversation. <laughs> so you're doing all right. So what is Bavana Newton? Yeah, so Bavana Newton, it's a, uh, the Bavana Brewery and Tap Room. So it's actually uh, one of our four tap rooms that we own inside the company. Uh, the only one that's purely Bavana branded, but it is a tap room in Newton, North Carolina, uh, joined to our innovation brewery. Uh, it's where we do the initial research on recipes, scaling up, work with these breweries to really help them make more of the things that they're already doing. Uh, but it's also a place where you can find all of our brands, uh, all of the the beers that we produce, not, not necessarily all at one time, though we do have 30 plus taps. So we try to keep as many on as we can. Uh, and people are also able to take home. So it's kind of the neighborhood bottle shop and bar, but it's also a place for discovery and to really see, you know, what we do at work. So what size, like, what's the scale of that tap room and brewery? Yeah, it's a it's a, a pretty intimate tap room that's by design. We wanted something that could be a neighborhood spot as well. Newton's pretty far out there, and, and that was by design as well. The town was looking for anchor businesses in their downtown as a you know, started to revitalize and started to spend some money on on really making it a place that people wanted to live and work. Uh, we were among those. We actually went into the old firehouse, um, which is, I don't know if you know about the needs of a brew house and the needs of a firehouse, but they're surprisingly similar. Uh, it's a relatively easy switch <laughs> to make, but um, they, the town's been very good to us. As far as the system that's in there, the brewery is actually pretty, pretty small. Uh, we can go up to 30 barrel batches at a time, 30 barrel fermenters. Uh, we can we have a 10 barrel, uh, uh, 10 barrel kettle so we can, you know, 
have to triple batch into those 30 barrels, but it's not there to do all the work that we do by any stretch. So we actually work with yeah. uh, contract breweries across the U.S., um, ones that we have run the D9 products for. We want to make sure that they're ones that we can trust, that the product quality is where it needs to be. But uh, we can effectively scale up infinitely. Um, we've already got about 300,000 barrels contracted across the U.S. right now. Um, pretty My much anywhere, <laughs> pretty much anywhere you need to be. In the, so it's been it's been pretty quick. It's been pretty exciting. Um, but the goal there wasn't pure size. It was about making sure that none of us run into the same issue that plagues small breweries, which is can we make enough for the amount of people who want our beer? And the answer in a lot of those cases was uh, no, unless we built this network of producers who can do everything from a 20 barrel batch all the way up to a 2000 barrel batch at a time and everything in between. That's a lot of beer. That's a lot of beer. You know, I'm doing my part. <laughs> I just want to make sure that you are as well, Chris. Listen, <laughs> and 65% of the brewing capacity in the U S is unused at any given time. That's the one thing it's, it's the one thing that we don't need more of is more stainless. Uh, you know, we, we've got the ability to make a ton of beer out there. And there's kind of this misconception over the last few years that, you know, breweries need to own their own system and make all the beer in-house. We're not moving people away from the product. We're not making anything other than what they're making. They're there brewing at these facilities as well in a lot of cases. But, uh, you know, Sam Adams and most of the early breweries in the U.S., Pete's Wicked, they were... Uh, nomad operations themselves using contract brewing uh, brands like Grimm or Stillwater or evil twin. They're held in extremely high regard are either still or were uh, nomad facilities themselves. So it is built into the industry and it is one of the things that makes beer uh, such a wonderful product is, you know, we have access to these facilities and you don't necessarily have to be at that individual vineyard at the time of harvest to be able to make it as long as the people behind it are still the same. So let's talk a little bit about you yourself. Your bio says that um, you are an advocate, a public speaker, beer educator. Um, what what uh, what does that mean? Oh, uh, I mean at the root of it, I know what you, it means. You got time on my own favorite <laughs> <What's>... subject. <laughs> uh, no, so I've been in the industry pretty much my entire adult life. Uh, it actually came from a dual career in IT and being a professional wrestler of all things. Uh, so wait, what? Yeah, yeah. You... That's why. That's why I can run my mouth, <laughs> and I'm a glutton for punishment. Okay. But um, no, I got into the beer industry. What? No, 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 no. Uh, you're not glossing over. over that. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not going to gloss over that you were a professional wrestler. I don't care about the rest of the stuff at this point. Let's. <laughs> Let's focus on that for a little bit. Um, explain. Yeah, no, no, that was always my uh, my dream, my entire childhood. So, you know, some of my earliest memories are watching Hulk Hogan with my dad. I, you know, was just a massive fan uh, as a kid. We, my dad was even stationed in Spain for three years, so we lived over there. Didn't have TV, but what we did have was access to uh, at the local um, video rental place on base. Uh, had access to basically the whole WWF back catalog. So I've been a wrestling fan pretty much my entire life. Uh, and when I turned 18 and was about to go off to college, my parents gave me a pair of wrestling boots and told me that they were going to be sending me to the wrestling school that I had wanted to go to in Atlanta, WWA4. Uh, you know, home of a lot of people who have since gone on to success both internationally and in WWE or AEW. Uh, so, yeah, did that. Uh, trained there. Um 
did a combination of wrestling uh, in the ring, um, referee work, and where I was best at was managing, which was running my mouth for the guys who were great in the ring but couldn't <laughs> work a mic to save their souls. Uh, very, very good what, to run my mouth even then. What um what, what league or what 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 promotion? Uh, yeah, like what 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 uh, entity? What what were you in? Yeah, whole variety of different ones. Um, on okay. the independent circuit, you're not necessarily committed to one. So yeah, I worked uh, okay. RWA up in Rhode Island was probably the one I did the the most work for, but did work uh, all through New England and all around the Southeast as well. What what were some of your names? <laughs> No, I had a few had a few gimmicks. The one that stuck the longest was uh, Honest Abraham Gore. Uh, at the time, I had a uh, Abraham Lincoln chin strap beard, and so the whole thing was I was running for the office of champion, and I'm going to bring tradition back to professional wrestling. Please tell me you wore a hat. Uh, I couldn't find one to fit my huge freaking head, but I did have Star Spangled <laughs> Undies. So you know, <laughs> um, "Hail to the Chief" was my theme song. So that was the one that stuck the longest. Uh, I did a in management. It basically depended. I all of my um, gimmicks were basically built around whoever I was managing at the time. But probably the most enduring one was uh, Mickey Moonshine managing the Shining Stars, uh, who were an over the top flamboyance. Uh, wrestling gimmick um not the most tasteful in retrospect but a lot of fun and we were at least <laughs> good guys so. uh but no did, did that all over uh that one all over new england did kind of a sports management gimmick for a while as well a uh, evil uh southern minister like hyper evangelist minister uh putting on my best charleston accent so a little bit of everything do any of these photos or videos exist anywhere if you dig enough they very much do. <laughs> I, if you dig enough, the things you'll find online about me are, are interesting and exciting. But uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna help you guys out. You're gonna have to do the work yourself. I found some results for Mickey Moonshine. I don't see anything with you. Hmm. Means I need to work on my online presence. So yeah, my <laughs> LinkedIn profile has none of this. I don't know why we didn't lead with this. <laughs> <laughs> because it tends to turn into the whole podcast. <laughs> um, there, there's a there's a brewery in Baltimore uh, named Full Tilt that just did a a four beer release of um, Foley, the faces of Foley. Love and it! It's all the different Foley themed beers. So New Sarah Brewing uh, here in North Carolina, who's one of our partners uh, out of Salisbury, North Carolina, they have a whole line of beers named after various finishing moves uh people's elbow is nice. the one people know the most that's a yeah. uh, i believe gabf gold medal winner um that's a uh, hazy ipa with coconut and lactose but yeah they have people's elbow shattered dreams um whole whole variety of them if you if you go to my instagram page i recently posted a photo of one of the, one of the four beers Look, I don't have any. Great concept. And if anybody would co-sign on something like that, it'd be Mick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, I mean, they definitely didn't uh, uh, sign off. Wait, IP theft in our industry? No! Well, I mean, it's, I, I, it, it, yeah. IP borrowing. It, it's an homage. I mean, none of it. <laughs> it's all original artwork that doesn't look like, I don't, it, it's, it's inspired. 
I would. And say. again, if there's anybody in the world who's going to be fine with it, I promise you, Mick would have zero issues. <laughs> if, he, if he threw him twenty five bucks and a beer, he'd be he'd be in. <laughs> Probably, uh, but no, they're 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 one of the breweries. They do a lot of, I would say, inspired art but it's nothing's ever something like that could i like i don't think anyone could go after them for which is good their artwork listen you can walk as close to the line as you want that that that's fine stay on the right side of it just don't get close enough to the sun yeah or sony (laughs) because they'll sue over anything yeah or nintendo now oh yeah they're it's crazy how for the longest time nintendo ignored everything and then all of a sudden like they just went they're crazy litigious now yeah now, now I'm completely off track. I don't, I don't even know what to talk about anymore. Oh uh, well, we were talking about my background, but uh, yeah, what was your so what was your finishing move while you were a wrestler? Yep, so I had two. I actually had a, a fisherman's neckbreaker um, was one of my use, but the predominant one was the uh, Kentucky clutch. Uh, you know, for anybody who's who's familiar with some of the le- more obscure wrestling moves, basically a buffalo sleeper hold. Uh, but more than anything, what I use was actually just a straight headlock. My entire gimmick was I was as boring as possible in the ring. That way, literally whatever the face, <laughs> the good guy did, people would pop. So I would throw on a, a headlock and just find various ways of keeping the headlock on for 10 straight minutes. Uh, and then when people were bored out of their mind at that point, a simple drop kick feels exciting. So I've always preferred playing the heel, playing the bad guy. That's, uh, that's, a okay, that's what I was going to ask. So were you always the heel? Not always. The shining stars gimmick was the only time I ever played a face. Um, luckily that was a, that was a pretty easy one to do. Um, and we were over the top anyways, but everything else I always played heels. I was always better at it. Um, honestly, being a heel is much, much harder. Um, they're the ones who have to carry the story. They're the ones who have to really build the, the tenor of the match, you know, the basic formula is, you know, 80% of the match is the heel working the face. 20% is the face working the heel because you want the face to get beat down as much as they can. So it feels that much more triumphant when they pull it out at the end. Yeah. Like Hulk Hogan. If you look at most of his his... matches, he's losing the entire match until the (laughs) end. And and brother, he just starts shaking his hands and getting up. And all of a sudden (laughs) your leg drop away from victory. So, (laughs) Uh, I just want to keep talking about you being a wrestler, but we should probably move back on topic, I guess. Uh, if we have to, if we have to. But um, So the public speaking you do, is that about wrestling? <laughs> no, you would think it's uh. this, but uh, <laughs> no. So I, I've been a uh, public, spe- public speaker and educator around the industry for years. So I'm actually a uh, adjunct uh, instructor for the University of North Carolina Charlotte's uh, Ring Business Essentials Program. I also okay. travel the country doing speaking engagements, uh, predominantly at industry-facing events. So uh, trade shows, um, Brewers Guild conferences. It's uh, like a CBC. I'm actually speaking at this year's so. CBC. Okay. So, <laughs> this year's Craft Brewers Conference, I'll be speaking on variable compensation. So huge part of what I've been focusing my career on is just introducing basic business skills and knowledge to breweries because the thing that makes this industry wonderful is that, you know, Brewers, by and large, are a industry of hobbyists, and that means they all bring very unique skills and unique knowledge and viewpoints into this that keep it fresh and keep it amazing. The problem is it also means a lot of them don't have a ton of experience in what it takes to run a brewery. So huge part of what I do is actually just helping bridge that gap and teach them how to run their business better so that they're able to stay alive and stay growing and, and stay focused on what got them into it in the first place, which is making great stuff. 
McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely been a downfall of some breweries where, like the 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 business part of the brewery wasn't as well thought through as the other aspects of the brewery, and it, it eventually caught up to them. It, it's unfortunately the case, and most of those places are run by wonderful people, and they have great dreams. In some cases, they even have amazing beer. But at the end of the day, you can make amazing beer and be a home brewer. You get into this industry to sell amazing beer, and that requires yeah. a, a I mean, any small business is hard. And that's not for me to mitigate how challenging it is. You know, we are an industry where our basic financials are kind of flipped upside down from the start. And if you add on top of that, the fact that people are having to wear a lot of hats and a lot of times a lot of hats they're not experienced or talented in, um, whether that's sales or logistics or marketing or hospitality or manufacturing or, you know, all, all those are businesses that they're effectively running under one roof. So that is a very challenging thing to do. So if people like myself and some of the other people who are on the speaking circuit, like Adjik Azunis, um, are able to, or Warren Bondi are able to help them build better systems that let them continue to focus on the things that make them amazing in the first place, but stay alive while doing it. Um, that's really the goal there. Hey, look, there you are right there is listed as one of the speakers doesn't have anything about you being a professional wrestler. I wonder why. It's, that'll be the first 20 minutes of my uh, seminar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll come off the top guarantee. rope. You know, I'll get some entrance music going, some pyrotechnics. and. Uh... <laughs> oh, you can guarantee the description of this episode is going to be now that it was with Aaron Gore, professor, professional wrestler and senior director of business development. <laughs> I trained a couple of guys who have been in WWE as well. I'm not going to tell you who, though. <laughs> actually i'm making a note of that so i don't forget to do that <laughs> oh i love it probably should add the timestamp to that so people can skip straight to the good stuff you know that's the reason everybody's <laughs> here to start with <laughs> when you emailed me you should have led with that like what? It's all this beer crap that you want <laughs> Well, next time this should be uncapped beer and professional wrestling podcast. And I'll know that. <laughs> I've had an interesting life and an interesting career. Not interesting to anybody other than me, I didn't think, but apparently so. All right. So um, you, you were wrestling people um, and then, then you, and then, so did you go straight from wrestling to craft beer? So I actually wound there... up doing wrestling and craft beer to start with at the same time. The problem is both of them pay terribly and both of them require nights and weekends. So eventually <laughs> I had to make a choice between the two. And the only thing that pays worse than beer is professional wrestling. Uh, <laughs> no, I did go from IT into beer. I got laid off from my IT job and I was early 20s. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, she asked me, well, what do you like doing? I said, well, I like beer. And she said, why don't you do that? And I said, oh, my God, that's brilliant. So she actually <laughs> found me my first job uh, in the industry on Craigslist of all places. So that dates me a little bit, but um, 
Yeah, I uh, got a job doing sales originally strictly for Rhode Island uh, for Finch Beer Company out of Chicago. Um, they are still technically around, only barely. Um, and before I knew it, I was over Rhode Island and Massachusetts and then basically the Northeast. Um, and moved down to Charlotte area, uh, North Carolina. I still live in South Carolina, just across the border from Charlotte uh, a few years ago and have been doing it ever since. So you were, you were always in the sales sales end of sales it. and marketing. Um, okay. and I actually spent, uh, quite a few years as a freelance uh, consultant for the industry between sales and marketing. Um, but doing a little bit of everything. That's kind of how I got started on the basic business, uh, practices stuff in the first place was walking into these places and realizing that, yes, I was there to help them with their marketing, help them figure out their sales team, but they didn't know how to track EBITDA. They didn't know how to track, you know, they didn't know how to run a basic PL. They didn't have any idea what the industry took to, to even operate. And so, you know, from there, I was kind of, kind of doing a little bit of everything in this industry other than actually making the beer. Nobody wants me to make the beer. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't homebrew much. I'm a certified Cicerone sitting for my tasting portion, my advanced Cicerone later this year. I'm certified cider, uh, cider professional. I'm sitting for sommelier probably next year. Uh, I can tell you everything there is to know about it. Don't ask me to make it. Um, so wait, which, which level is Cicerone? I can never remember. So right now I'm a level two, but I'll be uh, one of, I think we're up to almost 200 worldwide level threes. As long as I pass the tasting portion, I'm feeling pretty confident about it. I uh, passed the written portion actually about, about a year and a half ago. It's taken that long for me to get one book because they're so backed up from COVID on the tasting. Plans. Oh, wow. So. I don't think I've talked to anyone that's a level three. Well, you haven't yet. But Probably, if you haven't been talking yeah. about, well, I'm sitting for that in June. So maybe we'll, well, we'll talk set about, up in July. And have the we, can, we can schedule a whole wrestling episode. I'm comfortable. Because, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, because as you said, there there just aren't many in the world. Yeah, there's about, about I want to say about 200 to 250 uh, level threes now. Uh, and then level four, the highest level is Master Cicerone. There is only 21. 21. Um, of which one lives in Charlotte. He's a friend of mine, Joe Vogelbacher at Sugar Creek Brewing Company. If you've never had their product, check them out. They're great people. Uh, his journey was actually followed on the uh, movie uh, Beers of Joy, which is a fantastic watch I, I recommend for anybody. Uh, follows. I haven't seen that. Where, what's that on? How, how do you watch that? I think it's on Amazon Prime still. It used to be. Okay. Yeah, that, that's one of the easier ones. It was well-funded, so it's a pretty easy one to find. Um, follows for Master Cicerone. Uh, candidates has a couple other areas. I think they follow Sean Pax and the craft beer chef as he's doing like a uh, beer dinner, but predominantly what's focuses the, on the Cicerone program. What's the name of it again? Beers of joy, like tears of joy, because if there's one thing we've uh-huh. mastered in this industry, it's bad puns. I, um, yeah, that, that is definitely accurate. <laughs> we are an industry I watched, of dad jokes. <laughs> I watched the, um, the Netflix, uh, there's like a docu series about the uh, sommelier program. Som, Som is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That, um, now that organization's a mess, but that's a whole. I have. I mean, I definitely have very cynical views of um, wine in general, and then definitely the the som, sommelier. <laughs> I, for me, taking these certifications, like I'm well past the point of my career, they do me any good other than it, yeah. it, I like to do self-guided 
learning anyways. So it's a good way of benchmarking. Yeah, more of just like a personal. That's exactly uh, what it is. It's the same reason I use Untapped. It's not because I don't even rate anything anymore. For me, it's like it's easier than trying to record everything in a handwritten journal. Um, but. Uh, no, it's, I, I completely share some of your reservations and I think there's a lot of lessons beer can learn from wine by the same token. I think there's a lot of lessons that wine can learn from beer and cutting down some of the opacity and the, um, pretension around, uh, wine, I think would behoove that entire industry because they are losing Gen Z and millennials bad, which is a shame because I love wine. I drink almost as much wine as I drink beer. So it's uh, definitely something I would like to see become more accessible and, and uh, a little easier for people to get into and not feel like they're having to step into, I don't know, a country club environment just to be able to appreciate a rosé. Um, yeah, I just like listening to them describe wines. I just think you're full of it. And then I've you know, like I've read the articles and watch the videos like where oh, I can't remember who it was, but basically they just mess with them and trick them into like choosing the wrong thing or, Oh, it's amazing how in, uh, influenceable humans are in general. Um, one of the, my favorite things I used to do at like beer education events would be to uh, take a light beer, like a Pilsner or something and spike it with coloring to make it dark. Uh, <laughs> then watch people start describing this roasty note and, you know, hints of chocolate. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's not to make fun of people, quite the opposite is to show people, you know, there's so much that goes into your experience of drinking this. And it is so much more than just your perfect sense of flavor and taste. Like we're all very easily influenceable. One of the things that they've shown is that uh, it's almost impossible to taste uh anything but you know wine and beer being kind of the the er examples on a plane and actually discern what it tastes like because that low drone uh that you hear at all times on the plane actually throws off your ability to discern flavors and aromas which seems connected but they they were for the life of them couldn't figure out what was causing it and someone had the bright idea let's simulate that on the ground it wasn't the atmosphere it wasn't the pressure it wasn't the motion it's just that sound with the white noise basically Yep. Actually, I was wrong. I, I have had someone who is an advanced Cicero on, on an episode before. How dare you? One of the founders of, uh, of uh, Silver Branch Very nice. uh, Brewing Company in Silver Spring. And there's a new in the Maryland area. Was... I know you guys got some uh, really, really just rock stars up in that area. I mean, Julie Bretty, um, formerly of Denizens, Zach yeah. at Denizens. I actually took my original Cicero exam with you. No, she's, she's back there again. Oh, nice. That's good to know. Yeah, she, she left the... Um, small business administration and went back to that's good yeah, we're, the, we're all better for having her in it, so <clears throat> um yeah she i think most likely she just had the same experience a lot of people have when they're dealing with the government and it's like ah, i'll go back to beer <laughs> <laughs> i i wonder what triggered that you know we all have such good experiences uh trying to navigate bureaucracies <laughs> all right um so when did uh, when did you get? Have you been at, with working with Bavana from the very beginning, or did you come in at some point? Like where? So I actually came into Bavana before any of the D nine people even knew that there was a Bavana being worked on. So when, <laughs> when Andrew first realized that this was something that could be more than uh, just a way to help D nine itself, uh, well, first he got drunk and he spilled the beans to me at an event. 
um, which was a wonderful Oops. start because, you know, they, a lot of the same problems were things I, I'd also seen out there. Uh, but building the solution, he had the resources, the connections, and the ability to see it done. So what he brought did was bring me in to help, A, you know, continue building out the model because it's always iterative. It's always something that continues to grow. And, um, you know, he and I have been continuously working on it and with a, an amazing team continuously working on it all together for, for three years now. Uh, but I was working in the background, securing brands and hashing out some of the ways that these would work in practice as far back as uh, about a full year before anybody else in the company knew this was the direction he was going to be taking the company. So I've, I've been there since before the beginning, effectively. All right. How do people, well, actually, so I guess there's, there's two aspects. How does a brewery reach out to Bavana if they want to uh, pursue working with you? Yeah, so any uh, any beverage companies that want to work with us, we are always open to having a conversation. More often than not, we find that there's ways that we can definitively help. Um, worst case scenario, like I said, I've been an educator and a spokesperson for the industry for a long time. I'm always happy to help even outside my role with Bavana if it's something that I can do. But easiest way would be to reach out to me directly. My email is very simple. It's a.gore, that's a.g-o-r-e, at bevana.com. Just shoot me a line. I've never turned down the opportunity to connect with awesome people around the industry. And if people want to order a Bavana, what, what do you call them? We just call it a Bavana, Bavana box. beer box. Or? Yeah, we just call it a Bavana box. Honestly, it's a box okay. full of Bavana. So that's how, how do people get their hands on a Bavana box? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, they can go online to shop.bavana.com. Uh, that'll take them directly to the store. And for most of our partners and affiliates as well, they can even find the shop directly on their webpage. So if you have a favorite brewery, I urge you to support them wherever they're at. You know, we're, we're, we're here about quality beer wherever you live. Uh, but if you do want to be able to browse all of our partners and let us help guide you on discovering your new favorite beer, shop.bavana.com would be the best place to go. Is there anything about Bavana I have not touched on that you would want everyone to know? I just say when you're out shopping around, you know, we do quite a bit of uh, distribution uh, throughout the Southeast, the mid Atlantic, Northeast, even parts of the Midwest and the, uh, the Gulf coast, you know, when you're out, just look for the Lotus. Our logo is a nice little Lotus. Uh, we usually put it right smack dab in a circle on the can, just to make it easier for you to find and ask for it. If there's ever a, a brand or a brewery or, uh, you know, a beverage that you'd like to see, uh, get more access, get more reach and, you know, that you could be able to get, even if you don't live near them or vice versa, you'd like to see other people become exposed to and learn about reach out to me as well. I can always use tips. There's 9,000 breweries in the U S right now. I'm never going to be able to talk to them all, but I'm always down to have a conversation. And I want to hear what you guys have to say, because at the end of the day, it is all about the customer. You guys are the ones who keep our entire industry from the smallest breweries all the way up to the largest ones, uh, running, operating and growing. So please reach out. Uh, and people should definitely go on Instagram and search for the videos from the Bavana Hype House during GABF. They were a good with time. Thirsty Wanderer, Wanderer, the girl with beer, work for your beer, Hoppy Hayes, and Jennifer the Bearded Lady because they were all pretty hilarious. Oh, they're they're fantastic. I've known <laughs> known most of them for 
quite a while. Actually, Mel and Lindsay both even live locally. I've been friends with Lindsay basically since she started being an influencer, and Mel has really built <laughs> something special within the industry. Uh, they're fantastic people, and we were fortunate enough to work with them at GABF, and you know, it gave us all a good excuse to hang out at GABF and call it business, which I'll never say no to. And create some hilarious content. And some pretty good content. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have time for some stupid questions? I love stupid questions as long as I can get stupid answers. What, and and there's great two of these questions you've already answered, but I'm going to ask them again because like I've never had a guess that they've so f- perfectly fit with. <laughs> so we'll just start with what did you want to be when you were a kid? Well, I wanted to be a professional wrestler. <laughs> that was, yeah, no, that was the dream basically uh, since I was like five or six and never, never. Oh, and a paleontologist because the first movie I ever saw was Jurassic Park, which I think says more about my parents than it does anything else. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to be one until I realized how boring that job is. And I mean that with full respect for everybody uh, working in that field. But you guys are sitting there with a little broom dusting off bones. And I really thought I'd be riding a velociraptor. So now... Number question number 24 on my list of questions is if you were a professional wrestler, what would your walkout music be? <laughs> Boy, that's fortuitous. Uh, yeah. Hail to the chief. Um, the presidential theme as, as most people realize it uh, now, but <laughs> yep, that's, yep. I'm sticking with that. <laughs> be that that's or, what I was saying. Like the, that or shipping uh, up the Boston by dropkick Murphy. So you want a good hype song. That's a good hype song. All right. Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? Oh, between ninja and a pirate. I, I say a yes. pistol wins this one. So I'm, I'm picking the pirate. I was so hoping since you're from the care or that you live in the Carolinas that you would get that question. Correct. So thank you. <laughs> I love that. So, phrasing. <laughs> so many people get that wrong and say, uh, ninja, but as we both know Obvious. is truly the pirate would win. Is Batman a ninja? Yes. He's also my favorite superhero, and you can't see it underneath my shirt, but I got a Batman tattoo right there. (laughs) And both my daughters are named after comic book characters. So you're a full nerd. Oh, I am a a huge, (laughs) enormous, enormous nerd. I'm also the world's biggest Aquaman fan, because there had to be one of us. I was just going to say, like, you, they have they found you? Yeah, it was, <laughs> they, no one's looking. Know- That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would the title of your biography be? Aaron Gore. Somehow he lived long enough to write this. <laughs> Best fast food French fries. Defend your answer. Oh, I'm not a huge French fry guy is the ironic thing. So I'm, I am going to say, actually, I do have an answer to this. Best fast food French fries aren't even made anymore. It was Burger King's French fries up until like 2004 when they changed the recipe again because they used to double fry them. And those were delicious because double fried fries are fries worth eating. Also, <laughs> and, and that's why you mayonnaise don't. are the two proper things to put on your fries. Not ketchup. <laughs> ketchup is just crappy marinara. It, it's terrible. For for someone who who starts with saying um, you you don't eat French fries, you sure have a lot of opinions. I got a lot of opinions on everything. (laughs) (laughs) One thing you learn about me: there's almost nothing I'm not able to soapbox about, regardless of how (laughs) wrong I am. Who would play you in a movie about your life? (sighs) Probably Seth Rogen. That's a good yes. That would work. We have similar laughs too. If I really yeah. get going, I've I've gotten it more than one. I had a friend who looked exactly like Jonah Hill before Jonah Hill got skinny. 
Um, we used to go out places and he, he would literally get stopped and people would be wanting him to sign autographs. And I start playing it for all his worth. He, he looks way more like Jonah Hill than I look like, uh, like yeah. Seth Rogen, but people would be willing to buy into it just because of how similar the two of them yeah. look. Have you seen the Seth Rogen pickle movie? The Seth Rogen pickle movie? Yeah. Oh no, I have not. So I did see the trailers for that. Oh, it seems it? like it would be horrendous, but it is hilarious. Yeah, the trailers actually it looked exactly like the kind of like indie like dramedy that would be entertaining. Oh man, I completely forgot about that. That was on my list. I, I love movies. an American pickle. That's what it was. Yeah, it it's worth watching. I I, I think Seth Rogen's great generally. Oh, he's he's definitely one. He's in top tier. Yeah, I, I don't actor. think he gets the credit he deserves. Um, truthfully, but. His best best movie, Zach and Mary make a porno, which is fantastic. Movie. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan, so that yeah. that had to be the <laughs> the number one. It was one. also fantastic and doesn't get the credit he deserves. Terrible comic book writer, really good at making movies. Um, <laughs> comic books are bad. Like the like the mainstream ones he's done, or the new ones that he's making. Mostly the mainstream ones he's done. He okay. he does a lot better. The green he, the Green Hornet, or yeah. Well, he also he he did a Batman run, which was okay. I mean, if you want to hear Batman talking about accidentally wetting himself, that it's a great place to start. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah he doesn't have the personality good. for Batman. No, and they keep putting him on stuff like Daredevil and Batman, and you know, not 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 the right place, not the right place for a brilliant guy. If you were a member of the Spice Girls, what would your name be? Bald Spice. <laughs> Give me a few years, I'll be Old Spice. Crunchy or creamy peanut butter? Neither. I'm famous for hating peanut butter. It's the only food I don't like. Yes, I know that's weird. No, I'm not allergic. Yes, I like peanuts. I get all these questions every time. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. Oh, I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and the worst part is my wife and my daughters love peanuts peanut butter so my four-year-old's favorite thing to do is just get a mouthful of it and say daddy want a kiss <laughs> well at least the rest of the people in your family are normal i never said they're normal <laughs> <laughs> well they at least like peanut yeah, butter they like, like peanut a normal butter. they're slightly less weird but no we we're we are a gloriously weird family and i'll take it <laughs> what is the first thing you would buy if you won the powerball oh i uh i would buy an adam uh adam west batmobile would be the first thing that I would buy. That would be fun. Oh, that would be fun. I'm not even a car guy, but if I was going to have a car, that's the car I want. Is Nickelback a good band? No, but they're not a bad band. They're they're a does, perfectly forgettable band. Does pineapple belong on a no. pizza? All right, I forgive you for the uh I even like pineapple peanut butter. does not belong on pizza. Oh, I love pineapple. It's one of my favorite doesn't, fruits. Doesn't but go on it pizza. has no business being on a pizza. Yep, 100%. And I'll put weird shit on pizza. I'm I'm not putting pineapple on there. Have you tried peanut butter on a, a pizza? How dare you, sir? How dare you? I it it sounds repulsive, but I was actually I was at a restaurant and I fully expected that I would be ordering something after I tried it. <laughs> it was like uh it was like apple peanut butter. Like it just sounded so ludicrous. I had to try it and it was phenomenal. See, I and like I was apples fully, on pizza. I was fully expecting to take a bite and spit it out, I, but it, it worked. I've had Thai style pizzas that have crushed peanuts on there. Those are good. Peanut butter. Mm -mm. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm going to send you like a case of peanut butter. Oh, you have no idea how much free peanut butter I get from jokesters. Like it does. <laughs> if, if people know any two things about me, they know that I'm in beer and I hate peanut butter. Thank you, Maybe Dave Gonzalez of Lost World Brewing for making your personal <laughs> mission in life to make sure the whole world knows that.
<laughs> is it acceptable to use a gift card on a first date? Yes. Name a famous person you would love to meet. Ooh. Oh, Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada, because I will I will have you hire me someday, Ken. And I've already told <laughs> Andrew the one company I will leave Bavana for is to work at Sierra Nevada. I, I am a pretty big stand for that whole company. I think they're a model organization. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as much as I like to, to joke, crack jokes about the fact that, you know, the next hazy IPA is not coming from the big guys like Sierra Nevada, and it won't. I do love everything that they do. I think they're great people, a great company. And, you know, the beer beer quality is amazing. And if you've never been to their brewery at Mills River, I've been to hundreds of breweries across the world. And the nicest brewery I've ever been to is Sierra Nevada Mills River. So is um is that one of the first craft beers you had that got you into craft beer? Sierra Nevada Pale Ale? It was or? early, but it wasn't one of the first. So I first started drinking okay. craft beer in New England. So Magic Hat number nine um, was a big one for me. Um, yeah out of Vermont, but it was ironic. So my in-laws actually bought, uh, they like to keep craft beer around the house. And this is years and years and years ago. And one time they bought, brought Sierra Nevada pale home. And I was still in the uh, early, like more intense is better. Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada pale is boring. And so they got it for me and I drank it all right. And they took me drinking it all right. As it being somehow they got in my head that it's my favorite beer. And so they started buying it by the case um and and you know like borderline pallets of the stuff because they wanted to always have it in stock anytime i came to visit uh and sure it's enough, dangerous to let your family members know you like something dangerous but here's the thing though <laughs> guess what my favorite beer now is sierra nevada pale ale it's a, so they, they they beat it into they, they beat it into me and i'm, I'm still convinced <laughs> it is it is one of the most perfectly balanced beers ever created um it's it's up there with uh you know the west Veterans and the orvilles as far as just being a per- it's a perfect beer Perfect beer. All right. One more. What is the best gift you have ever received? Oh, I'm going to be sappy and say my daughter's. And you can't get anything else out of me. I would assume it was peanut butter. That's, that's <laughs> uh, the pair of wrestling boots my parents got me when I turned 18. Good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you still Do you still have them? Actually, I think I finally got rid of them just like a year or two ago. Uh, but, should have uh, had them bronze. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> Man, there's a. I've spent my money on some stupid stuff over the years, but that was cake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, AA Ron, thank you for your time. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank how how often do you get that stupid joke because of Key and Peel? At least people can spell my name now. Growing up, they was A R R O N A R O N E R I N, and the moment that came out, I was like, finally, people can spell it. And now I'm just so tired of the freaking joke. I have an ugly Christmas sweater upstairs that has. Uh, uh, has uh, Keegan Michael Key doing that? And it says you done messed up. AA Ron, my wife got it. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I would wear it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I live in the South. I'd overheat and die, but it is pretty funny. <laughs> There's like two days a year I can actually wear a sweater. But <laughs> all right, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Um, we definitely have to talk about your wrestling career a little <laughs> bit more sometime. Uh, Wait until I tell you about how but- I was in a movie with The Rock once. Um, what? What Let's for another me. podcast, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you so much for coming to Uncapped. <laughs> thank you for your time today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Bye, y'all. The Uncapped Bye. Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. 
A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.